Good morning. You ready to hear from the Lord? Me too. Hallelujah. I know that last week was a, a rough one for some of us, myself included. But I, I realized wrestling this week, just so you know that I, I wrestle even when I preach because God is dealing with me the very things that he's dealing with you. So I preach out of a place where God is saying enough. And last week I, I preached on the sin in the house. I just feel like as a body of believers, we have walked away. We have walked away from believing that there's any effect of sin in our lives. And if we don't deal with the sin that he has highlighted in our lives, we are living for our enemy, not our God. The disciples were all in. When Jesus called their name, they left everything to go with him. And they didn't have the Holy Spirit at that time. But they left everything. And in Acts, when, when the Holy Spirit came and empowered them, they walked it out in ecclesia into the land like nobody's business. Darkness left the building when they showed up because it couldn't stand in his presence. And I am sick and tired of the deception in the church that sin's okay. And I believe that God is sick and tired of the deception that sin is okay with a body of believers. The only way our land will change is if believers begin to walk, act, talk like the Messiah who died on that cross. And when we hand the hand of grace in one hand and the hand of love in another, and we have sin in this hand, we downgrade the price that was paid. I'm sick and tired that suicide is the second leading cause of death among teens. But I'm not just going to complain about it. I'm going to hit my knees until he gives me a strategy to help. I'm sick and tired that one out of 51 in our community will be hit with a, a violent crime. One out of 51. Where there is light, darkness can't live. And the only reason it lives is because we are not walking out light outside of these walls. And when we do walk out, we walk out looking like the world. And it's time that we stop. So you ready for some hope on how you do that? It's everything that Amy sang this morning. It's in his presence. It's in an intimacy relationship with him. You cannot get sin out of your life by striving to do it. You can only get it out by hitting your knees and spending time in his presence and in his words and saying, God, I messed up again. I need you to purify me. I need you to get it out because I don't want to look like this out there. I want to look like you. We can't just be angry about something. We have to start doing something about it. I'm sick of people complaining about politics, but they're not doing anything to offer a solution. Complaining doesn't do anything. We have to be a people that is willing to give it all. We have to be a people that counts the cost of living for our Savior. And we have to be a people who cares enough to do something about it in our own lives first. And it starts with hitting our knees. It starts with repenting of our sins. And repentance is not just something you say. It's something that you do. Because repentance says, you know what? I see this in my life. And I'm turning my back on it. 
Holy Spirit, you and I are wrestling this out till that no longer has a hook in me. And I will do whatever it takes so I am more purified, so I am more on fire, and so more like Jesus every day. I am angry that I am so more self-focused than I am world-focused. I'm angry that I'm more consumed about my kingdom than his kingdom. And I think he's angry. Do you forget that God is an angry God at times and he unleashes anger onto the land when the children of Israel would not get it? They, They were in the desert for 40 years. Not because God sent them there for 40 years, but because they couldn't get it right. I preached out of Matthew 16, 18, and 19 about a church that storms the gates of hell. And I believe that is the river of God that is flowing in our land right now. And he's saying it's time, church, to stop playing church. It is time, church, to stop holding on sin with all of your might and trying to live this life. You have to release it unto me. We cannot go in power and authority against the gates of hell if we are caught up in a lifestyle of sin. There is a huge difference between a lifestyle or a mistake. A lifestyle is choosing it even though you've been convicted of it and still walking in it. A mistake is, God, I am struggling with this sin. I'm aware you want it out of my life. You and I are wrestling it out. And every time I fall, I am deeply grieved by what I have done to my relationship here. This is how this series started in community. This has to be clean so that I can look like love out there. See, when we make mistakes, when we fall back into a sin, we thought we had it licked. It's hitting our needs in repentance that it grieves us so much that we're not willing to get up off the floor until him and I have dealt with it. And that is his heart for the church. I'm tired of seeing people in pain in our community, and the church staying silent about it. In fact, a lot of the things that I hear or have said even is condemnation and judgmental spirit instead of a loving hand that sees beyond behaviors and says, here's my hand, how can I help you? We are called to be salt and life. We are called to shine a light, not dim our lights down. And sin dims us down. It's not about being perfect. It's about pursuit of holiness. And it comes out of relationship with Jesus. You're either a fan or a follower. A fan likes the idea of church and likes the idea of Jesus, but a follower counts the cost and surrenders it all at the altar and does whatever they can to look like him every day. Luke 11, 19 and 23. If Satan gives me the power to cast out, this is Jesus talking, cast out his demons, who is it that gives your exorcist their power? Let them become your judges. Go and ask them, and they will tell you, yes, if I am casting out demons by God's mighty power, God's kingdom realm is now released upon you, but you still reject it. Satan's belongings are undisturbed as he stands guard over his fortress kingdom, strong and fully armed with an arsenal of many weapons. That is what's in our land right now. He is at his gates, unattended, And we have to be the ones willing to go and say, oh, no, the keys were taken out of you. You have no authority in this place. But when one stronger than he comes to attack and overpower him, 
The stronger one will empty out the arsenal in which he trusted. The conqueror will ransack his kingdom and distribute all the spoils of victory. This is a war. And whoever is not on my side is against me. And whoever does not gather the spoils with me will be forever scattered. Listen. Our enemy has been left attended far too long. I had a conversation with my dad the other day. And he said, you know, my, he, this is him. I'm quoting him poorly, I'm sure. He said, my generation, we were waiting for God to return. We didn't prepare for a future. We just knew that by 1999, I think he said, he was coming back. So we didn't save for a future. We didn't go against the, the kingdom of heaven. We were just making sure everything in our house was taken care of, our kids and ourselves, and that's all we needed. He said, and now the enemy has been left attended. In fact, he was counseled to not get involved in the world because it will distract you from the coming of the king. He grew up in the assemblies of God and non-denominational churches. But it's across the board. We have seven mountains of influence in our society, and they are religion, family, education, government, media, arts, and business. And we all need to get out of our religious buildings and get busy in the seven spheres of influence that we have in our society. We need politicians. We need Christians with strong morals, with an incredible relationship with Jesus at the front lines of our government. We need it in the media. I would love to see more Hollywood directors rising up that are believers. But sex does sell, right? Sex sells. Well, so does God when he's presented the way that he was intended to be presented. That's an excuse not to be involved. We are on salvation journey, yes. But in our journey, we should be actively in pursuit of looking like Jesus. And it's in our word. It's not a religious thing. It's because he paid a price. So I could bring the kingdom of heaven down. And I will not lessen that price with my sin. Because he is worthy of it all. He's the only one worthy of our time and our energy. He's the only one worthy to count any cost. Philippians 2, starting with verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Some of us need to be working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Jonathan Edwards said this, sin is wicked. Sin is the ruin and the misery of the soul, and it is destructive in nature. When we choose sin, we are destroying our soul one moment at a time. It never, Jesus' love for you is the same on your worst day as your best day. But your intimacy with him and his communication with you and the blessings that flow from his hand is dependent on what you're doing here. And when this isn't good and you're trying to do this, you're going to succumb to the enemy out there and people are stupid and you don't want nothing to do with them. People are not stupid. They're children of the king. God gave them breath and life, and they deserve to be loved by those who say they're Christ followers. Verse 13 in Philippians 2. 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his pleasure. Do all things, here's some keys, without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights to the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. John 14.8 I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The disciples change in Acts because the helper came. You have the helper inside of you to be able to walk out salvation journey. Death and sin no longer has authority over your life. Stop giving in to it. He equips and empowers you to say no. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. So we have hit sin heavy. What you do with it is on you. But I don't want anything clogging this so that I can be light and life out there. And so today I'm going to break down a real simple passage about how do you do that? What does it look like? How do you become ecclesia? Ecclesia is the word that Jesus used in Matthew when he was talking about my church, I will build upon this rock and my church will go against the gates of Hades or the gates of Hades cannot come against my church. But in actuality, gates don't move. The church has to go to the gates and take the keys because the keys were already taken from the enemy. We just need to remind him that he doesn't have authority. He has power because we haven't stopped him, but he doesn't have authority. So the ecclesia is, is those who were set apart. It is God's gift to the world. The church in the marketplace, in the marketplace is business, education, government. You are his agent for reclaiming the world for Jesus. I heard one come on. Listen. He said, Carissa, the world needs you in this time, in this season, for such a time as this, to be my agent to transform the world around you. we got to stop being stuck in our junk. Stop getting caught up in our failures and our mistakes and start getting an intimacy relationship for the, with the one who paid it all. So where do you begin after you deal with the sin in your life? And here's, here's a little moment to think about. Sin will always be there. Because when you think you've got it licked and you've gone in inner healing enough, another piece of it comes up. That's why Holy Spirit is so important. It never goes away. But it doesn't have to have power over me. Because him and I can lay down and say, no more, Jesus. I'm sitting here till you remove it. I'll do my part, you do yours. That's the beauty of relationship with the Holy Spirit. I do my part, he does his. I remember, and I've, I've shared this a, a hundred times, but I'll share it again. I had such a horrible anger problem, and I know I look so innocent and you don't, don't see that on me. But I had a horrible anger problem. I, my husband, for a birthday, bought me a punching bag because it was so bad, and I was ruining our house because I would just slam things and punch things. And, and when it was called, when he bought me the punching bag, it was a slap in the face of, okay, I've got a problem, and this is not what a believer looks like. And Jesus and I went to battle over that problem. And it wasn't, uh, I hit my knees and it was over. 
it was that every time it came up in my life, I was like, Jesus, remove this. Forgive me for walking like this. Remove this out of my life. I don't want to be this way. And I remember, I don't know how long it was. It, it, it was a while. It, wasn't a, it was probably two years. <laughs> Some of us are more stubborn than others. But I remember getting super angry. And my first thought was, was prayer instead of punching something. You know what, Jesus, you're doing a work inside of me. Thank you. Let's continue. And eventually, I had to get some inner healing and trauma in my life where it was all rooted. (laughs) But he helped me on the journey. So when you begin to repent of sin, which is turning away from, we have to replace it. But when you deal with that, when you get to the place where you're counting the cost, Jesus gives us this beautiful example in the Bible of what it looks like to go. And if you want to turn with me, um, you know, don't turn there yet. I said last week that we have to recognize that we are all ministers of the gospel. There are some that are called to the pastorate of a church. And there are some that their giftings is for the in-house, for the equipping and the training so that you go. But we are all called ministers of the gospel. We have to believe that. We have to know that. And I also said that we have to remember that everything that we do is worship unto the Lord. And then we can go into the nitty-gritty. As a minister in the world, in the marketplace, as a minister in your schools, as a minister in your homes, as a minister in your workplace, wherever you are, these are some of the things that you can do that are spoken about in this book. This is just a tiny chapter in this massive two books, incredible books. Um, I'll share more of those at the end. So the first place is, turn with me now to Luke 10. And as we go over this, it's going to seem extremely simple. And you're going to go, wow, that's really easy and simple. I want you to know that the gospel is simple. We overcomplicate it. It is super simple. Going as ministers to the world is a lot easier than we give ourselves. Katie's been telling me this for years. I overcomplicated it, and I allowed my insecurities and fears to rise up and keep me from being the minister that I was called to be out there. But I'm on board with Katie now. She's talked to me enough to tell me, you can do this. It's okay. So I'm going to break it down. How how do we become ministers, effective ministers? It's starting with our sin. It's believing that you're a minister and that all that you put your hand to is worship. And then in Luke 10, let me read it to you, starting with verse 2. I don't know if I have Passion Translation, my favorite right now. And then he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves, carrying no money money bag or knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves his wage. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Do you know that if you go down further in Luke 10, 
He sent out the disciples to do this. And Jesus says to them, Yeah, I'm not going to go there right now. So it starts with what? When you look at those verses, you see it starts with praying over your sphere, right? Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. So the first thing that you can do is pray. So simple, right? But praying intentionally is different. It says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Ed Savasso says, talk to God about your neighbors before you talk to your neighbors about God. How many of you know your neighbors by name? How many of you are going to the throne room for the lost and dying that you're surrounded by? How many of you are asking God, intentionally seeking his face, for co-workers that sit beside you week after week. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8 says this. You don't have to turn there. Most of all, I'm writing to encourage you to pray with gratitude to God. Pray for all men with all forms of prayers and requests as you intercede with intense passion. And pray for every political leader and representative. Representative so that we would be able to live tranquil, undisturbed lives as we worship the awe-inspiring God with pure hearts. It is pleasing to our Savior and God to pray for them. He longs for everyone to embrace his life and return to the full knowledge of truth. It starts with prayer. I don't have time, really? How much time do you spend... You have this cute little tracker on your iPhones, or I don't know if Samsung's does it. it tells you how much time you spend on your iPhone. Trust me, we have time. We don't make time. Because we don't see people dying and going to hell, and we have cushioned what hell really is. We don't want anybody to go to hell. I don't want, I don't want one person go to hell. Not one. And we have to get to the place where it eats us up thinking that someone could go there. For godliness to increase in our city, ungodliness must decrease. And it requires the city's climate, spiritual climate, to change. The only way a spiritual climate in our city changes is if believers rise up and begin to pray. Pray for the change. So, to help you out, we as a church are starting a 21-day fast starting tomorrow. And it's intentional. It's a 21-day prayer fast walk. Right? Y'all are about healthy stuff, not all of us, but some of y'all doing a whole lot of crazy stuff. So starting tomorrow through the 28th, we will be fasting for our city. But here's the thing. I want you to adopt the streets that you live on. I want you to be intentional about the neighbors that live next to you. I want you to begin to pray and ask God for opportunities to minister to those around you. And to even help you further, every Wednesday night in February, Jen Marsicko will be leading a walk on the, um, behind Martins. We're going to meet at 5 p.m., and we're going to walk the walkway, and we're going to intercede together for our city. So every Wednesday night from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m., we're going to walk the walkway together because where two or three are gathered in his name, hell doesn't have a chance. We must begin to pray intentionally for those around us.
We can't just stop with prayer, though. The next thing that Jesus tells his disciples to do is to speak peace over the houses that you go into. Bless and speak peace. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. Listen, you guys go into homes, workplaces daily. You carry the kingdom of heaven inside of you. What they should see when you walk in, what they should feel when you walk in, what they should notice when you walk in is that atmospheres change. Chaos settles down. Because the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you, and he is the God of peace. Too often, we talk about blessing those who curse us, but we don't do it. We don't extend extend a hand of blessing to our enemies. Our thoughts don't even bless them. We curse more than we bless with our words. We see sin and moral failures and behaviors, not souls, not sons and daughters of the Most High. And when we see them through the lens of behaviors and sins, we definitely don't extend a hand of peace. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to say anything to somebody. If you read on in that verse, it says that um, the, if, it, if a, a son of God is not there, the peace will return to you. You can feel that peace coming back if someone doesn't accept it. And if I can feel it, they can feel it when you walk in and you don't like them. People know. Animals know. So people know. And you can't walk in a, in a spirit of peace. If our prayers are about curses. Lord, do you see how stupid they're being? What in the world is wrong with them? Start blessing them in your prayers. Start praying over them. Romans 16, 20 says this, And the God of peace will swiftly pound Satan to a pulp under your feet, and the wonderful favor of our Lord Jesus will surround you. Peace is the opposite spirit of what's happening in our world right now. In order to bless, we must come in the opposite spirit of what is over our society. What is the opposite spirit? How about some love? How about some joy? How about peace and patience, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Ed says that when we come with the opposite spirit, we neutralize the demons that are assigned to blind the lost. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 1 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. Listen, they're blinded out there. And when you come at them, With the same spirit that's in them, they're never going to see the gospel of the truth of Jesus Christ. We have to come in a different spirit than what is already residing there. We have to come with the fruits of the spirit. Do you know that the fruits of the spirit are gifts to us? They come from the Holy Spirit. We have to activate them by our relationship with Jesus. Anger does not diffuse anger. It makes it worse. Anybody been in an argument, gone bad real fast because of our, yeah. But a gentle spirit diffuses anger. A loving heart, a humble heart, that doesn't care if they're right or wrong, diffuses anger.
When we come low and humble, it confuses our enemy. And he lets his guard down. And a switch begins to turn in the mind of the lost. The other way that we have to come in and with a blessing is we must honor all people. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Come on. But living as servants of God. Honor everyone. And then it goes on to say, Love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. What is honor? Honor isn't something that you get, it's something you give. Honor is to have great respect and admiration for a person. Danny Silk says, what is wonderful about the person you are ministering to right now? What character, what character traits has been deposited in that person? If you begin to focus in on that instead of behaviors, you'll be able to honor them. Bill Johnson says this, a culture of honor is celebrating who a person is without stumbling over who they're not. Honor isn't agreeing with everything that is out there. It isn't agreeing with what that person believes. In fact, honor has nothing to do with their belief system at all. Honor has everything to do with our belief system. We honor those who think like us, who vote like us, who act like us, who look like us. Those are easy, right? But in the kingdom of heaven, we are to honor all of those people, every person even the ones who vote differently than you, even the ones who do not believe Jesus is the Messiah, even the ones who act like you or don't act like you. We only like to honor those who have the same beliefs as us, and we don't extend honor to anybody else. You know, I could throw out a few names right now, and I'm sure the first thing we thought of that person would not be honor. And we've got to get that changed. It's not about their beliefs. It's not about what they stand for. They are a child of the king. They just don't know it yet. We avoid people instead of honoring them. I can't tell you, I've, I've, I've had to unfollow a lot of people, and then, then I'm preparing for the sermon, and God is like, can't you think one nice thing, despite what's spewing out of their mouth right now? No, Lord, I can't help. <laughs> and I had to repent. Because they're children of the king. And they deserve honor. You know, we're really quick about wanting it, but we don't want to be quick about giving it. Danny Silk says, when you can't honor someone, you're saying, in turn, you're saying, I can't value you because you don't think like me. Man, if Jesus didn't value us, where would we all be? I am to honor all people, including those over me that does not think like me. And the third thing that we have to do in order to offer peace and a blessing on someone is we have to extend unconditional love. Another really hard one. 1 Corinthians 13, just in case you have forgotten what love looks like this morning, I just want to remind you before I go into the rest of this Luke 10. Just close your eyes. If I were to speak with the eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. 
And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains but have never learned to love, then I am nothing. It does not matter. And if I were to be generous as to give everything away, and I owned to feed, and if I owed to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr without a pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessings come to somebody else, even the lost. Love does not brag about one's own achievements, nor inflates our own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seeks its own honor. Love is not easily irritated. Oh, good Lord, help us all. Or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for, of, for others. Love never takes failures as defeat, for it never gives up. Perfect love, love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. And it is more enduring than tongues, which will one day fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. And church, we, we have got to be a people that honors all people. We have to be a people that loves them. And we have to come in with the opposite spirit. And if you are not in intimacy with Jesus, love looks like something completely different than him. It's conditional. Heidi Baker says, revival comes when believers carry so much love of Jesus and are so confident in their identity as sons and daughters of God that every person they touch with their lives encounters him. Who is your workplace encountering when you walk in? The next thing in verse 7 of Luke 10, it says, have fellowship with them. We all love fellowship, right? It's a little weak right now with COVID, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. I love that he puts in there what they provide. Do you know how many, how many um, believers I've had conversations with that will say, well, I can't go to their house because of the evil that's there? So are you telling me that the evil that is there is bigger than the God that is in you? Church, stop separating yourself from the world. The Lord said, be in the world, not of it. Fellowship provides an opportunity to show unconditional acceptance by welcoming people the way they are instead of the way we want them to be. That was in the book. When we let the host, the lost host us, We give them an opportunity for them to do something for us. We affirm their value and dignity as God's creation. Do you understand that the fellowship a believer brings into a house should be the best fellowship anybody's ever experienced in their entire lives? It should be the most fun, the most laughter, the best excitement that they're going to want to invite you back all the time because you love them so well. We should be the best at partying. That's right. We have to start valuing people. Have fellowship with them. They're dying for it. They're longing for it. And then the next piece in verse 9, it says this, minister to their needs. You see what, do you know what fellowship does? Fellowship breaks the barriers that they begin to trust you in such a way that they begin to pour out and say, you know, I'm really struggling in life. 
It's not until you have fellowships with somebody that they can begin to trust you enough to share and expose what they're walking through. Fellowship is the open door of exposing a need. And then we are called to minister to their needs. Heal the sick and and in it and say to them, heal the sick. When a need arises, pray if it's sickness. It is your congregation that you're ministering to. How many of you have called Mark and said, Pastor Mark, and said, I have this need and I can't meet it and I need your help, right? What does he do? He does everything he can to make sure that need gets met for you. As ministers of the gospel, we are to meet the needs that we can around us. But people aren't going to share their needs if they don't have any fellowship with you. Matthew 25, 32 says this, And all the nations will be gathered together before him, and like a shepherd who separates the sheep from the goats, he will separate all the people. The sheep he will put on his right side and the goats on his left. And the king will turn to those on his right and say, You have a special place in my father's heart. Come, experience the full inheritance of the kingdom realm that has been destined for you from before the foundation of the world. For when you saw me hungry, you fed me. When you found me thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I had no place to stay, you invited me in. And when I was poorly clothed, you covered me. And when I was sick, you tenderly cared for me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. Listen, the Church of Acts did that. They met the needs. Every need that was brought up was met in the marketplace, home to home. Do you have to use wisdom? Yes, but stop saying you have to use wisdom so much that it keeps you from giving to anybody. Because here's the thing. If if a, a need is highlighted to you and God says provide for it, doesn't matter what that person's doing. Provide for it. It's on them what they do with that. We have to meet the needs of those around us. That is the purpose of a church body. We have far too long let the government do what the church was created to do. That is why we're in the situations we're in now. And I'm not saying an entitled where you just hand out, hand out. Train them up. Teach them some skills. Let them learn how to work if that's what you want to do. But don't give an excuse of why you can't meet a need. Meet the need. It's in front of your face. Meet it. If they're sick, heal them. Some of us, I'll, I'll be praying for you. We need to stop in that moment. If a need has been, someone has told you a need of healing needed, then pray. It's on God whether he heals them or not. Stop being afraid to lay your hands on the sick because you might be surprised that they'll get healed because that's what our Jesus does. But you'll never know unless you try it. And if they don't get healed, that's okay. You were obedient to what he called you to do. Meet the need. They're sick, pray. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're naked, give them some clothes. Do something. We're called to meet needs. We are called to be the church. Do you know what happens when you meet a need for somebody, how many of you has had a need met by somebody else? What does it do to you? You become undone. Like they left me so much that they took care of the need that I had. When we were, when we were both so sick, we couldn't move. And the outpouring that love came in, we were undone by it. Do you know what happens when a lost person and doesn't know Jesus, gets their needs met by somebody who does, they're undone by it. They don't understand it. They're always asking, well, what do you want from me? Nothing. I just want to love you. You have a need, and I can meet it. Let me meet that need for you. When you meet that need, you can then come in with verse 9 that says, let them know that the kingdom has come near. 
I am giving you this because I know that you are thirsty. And my Jesus provided drink for me, so I'm going to provide drink for you. They don't want to know what you have to say if you're not willing to get in the ditch with them. They don't want to know what you have to say if your life doesn't line up with what you're preaching. right. Amen. Acts 19.10. When the church begins to understand that they are all ministers, and they go into all the world and preach the good news, and they do the things that we talked about, praying and blessing, meeting needs, sharing the kingdom. This is what happens. Two years, Paul was preaching the gospel. In verse 10, 1910, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. Do you understand that the providence of Asia at that time exceeded a million people? Two years, and all heard the gospel. Why? Because he didn't just preach something that he didn't live. Because he didn't just go, he prayed. He didn't just show up, he blessed. He didn't just come in. He, they, the disciples had to get, there were so many needs, they had to raise up a team to take care of the needs. But they knew that it was important. They rose up a team to take care of the needs in the community. They didn't even have social media and all heard. How does that happen? It's because the church and Acts rose up and it went out. And Wednesday night, if you were here Wednesday night, I showed a documentary of a church that is doing very well at this very thing. And... um, The pastor had a group saying, okay, can you give me a practical, how how do I love my community? What What do I have to do? Where do I begin? And he shared this, but then he said, tell me what you do well. And they said, we love people well. What else do you do? Well, we have a lot of bakers in our group. And he said, okay, bake stuff, go love people. And so they did. They took their baked goods and they went into the community and they began loving on people and loving on people with their baked goods in the community for free. Imagine that. So simple. And it grew a ministry. It grew a ministry. They ended up with a bakery. They sell, they then take the, the profit from the bakery and they put it back into the community to help their government. So I'm going to share this because I feel it's really important because some of you are like, well, I don't, I, yeah. Some of you are in a workplace God has called you to. Some of you are just skating by because you just don't know if that's what you're supposed to do with your life. And some of you just don't even know where to begin. I want you to know as a church that we have been praying for 14 years on how do we love our community. And we had visions and dreams and we have prayed and hovered and we have not released anything until I began studying this out and the Lord woke me up at 5 o'clock in the morning and he said, it's time to run, go. I went, what do you mean? No, he said, the visions that I've given you, it's time to run. And, and in 14 years ago, 14 years, seven, seven years ago, I had a vision of homes for prisoners. Because in the mental health field, I realized that I would have people walking in and they would get out of prison and they would end up over and over back. And my heart broke for him. And so I prayed over it. Lord, what do I do with that? Something's got to give. Something's got to stop. We have to put some things in place that stops the cycle. And what I realized is they had no housing, or if they did, affordable housing. It would be in the worst parts of the community, around like guys 
with the same problem and issues, and they couldn't get a job. And if they had a job, it was hard to sustain and live off the income that was provided for them because the jobs that are provided for them are so, the income base is so low. And so, just so you know, we will be launching houses to meet that need. We have begun to look for property. I don't know how it's going to happen. It's bigger. God said, run, I'm running. And if I hear a whistle blow, I'll stop. That's what the pastor said. When you hear the whistle blow, stop. I also, the other thing that God has called me to is, I am tired of seeing our teens so broken. I weep for our teens in our society. I, I can't tell you how many hours of sleep I've lost because of the brokenness of homes and the pain that they're going through. So God downloaded an art curriculum to me. And so I'm going to be launching that. I don't know where I'm going to get the time, resources, money, any of that. I don't know. I don't care. God said, run, I'm running. So I'm getting that published and working on that. There are needs in our community that you can take care of. But you have to find out what they are. And when you do, listen to this story. So there was this woman, Wanalapa. We'll just call her Wanda because that's just a mouthful. When Pastor Brian first met her, she was a spirit medium dying of stage four cancer. After he prayed for her, she was instantly healed. Huh. Brian also detected a Latin a gift for business in her and brought her a three-wheeled motorcycle. Listen, he saw something in her and then he provided the instrument to pull that out of her. Can you imagine? Bought her a three-wheeled motorcycle equipped with an attached ice cream box. For about 10 years after that, she told people about God's healing miracle in her life, but she had not been able to lead anyone into Christ. And then she began to practice the principles that we just talked about. She, Wanda, dedicated her ice cream cart to the Lord. She began to pray over it. And she even anointed it and called it the chariot of fire. The ice cream cones became arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. She laid hands on the cartons of ice cream, asking God that when her clients tasted it, they would also taste the goodness of the Lord. And so she began to silently speak peace over them to upgrade the business transaction to a, to a, um, a budding relationship by speaking peace when they would come for her ice cream. You have a beautiful day. I just want to bless you. Jesus loves you so much. You have a great day. Enjoy that ice cream. She understood from the four steps for prayer evangelism, which we just discussed today, the results were amazing. Her patrons thought she had changed brands because the ice cream tasted so much better. When actually what happened was that she had turned her ice cream cart into a mobile ark of the covenant. To carry God's presence all over the city, it began to change the spiritual climate. And as people shared their felt needs, Wanda offered prayers of faith. God answered them. And within a year, the church Brian and his wife pastored grew to over 700 members, due in part to Wanda's boldness and appealing prayers of evangelism. Wanda still wasn't satisfied. She had also caught on to the first paradigm about discipling nations. And so her ministry just continued to grow, and she began to bless going into her government agencies in the community and began praying over the government buildings, which eventually led the mayor of the city to this church, and he ended up getting saved, and it changed the entire city because one person decided that she's the minister of the gospel, and everything she did was worship. Church, it is time that we arise Get out of our comfortable seats. Stop playing around with the world and be the kingdom of God out there. There is a world that is lost and dying and you have the strategy inside of you how to reach them. We have the mind of Christ. 
He's a creative God. He will give you plans and strategy on how to win lost souls. Let's, let's stand. It starts with prayer. Last week it started with sin. Praying you all dealt with your sin this week. Continue to deal with it. Don't continue to allow it to fester in your life. Get rid of it. It needs to go. But it starts in prayer. So join us on a 21-day fast. I'm not going to tell you what that looks like for you. You ask Holy Spirit, right? You have the same Holy Spirit as I have. Ask him, Holy Spirit, what do I need to fast for the next 20 days, 21 days for you? And be intentional about your prayer lives. Adopt the streets you live on. What are the name of your streets? Walk them. Pray. Pray over those houses. Watch God open doors. But take it to your workplaces, too, for crying out loud. Let Monday be just as exciting as Sunday for you because you're taking church to work. Amen. Let's put your hands on your heart. You know, I, I believe this is a move of God in our land, and it's what we're getting back to. God is calling in the body of Christ back to the Church of Acts. I believe that with all of my heart. It's not just this body, but it's a now moment. And you get to either jump in the river with God, or you can stay comfortably in your pew being a fan instead of a follower. Ask yourself this morning, count the cost. It'll cost you. It, costs, it will cost you time, energy, and money, for sure. But it will bring kingdom wealth because those who you minister to will walk into heaven with you. It's the only thing we get to take with us. Holy Spirit, I just ask right now in this room that you would just convict our hearts, God. Lord, if there's any wicked way in us, because sin is wicked and we need to start calling it what it is. It's wicked. And it doesn't belong in our lives anymore. So Holy Spirit, right now I ask that you would convict the hearts in this room, in this house, of the sin that you need for them to get out. Because, God, when you convict us of a sin, you're saying, this can't stay because where I'm taking you, if you have this in your heart, you will fall. It's a loving God who convicts us of sin. Come, Holy Spirit, convict. And as he convicts, I I want you to repent. Get it out. When we choose sin over God, we're choosing the enemy's camp. And an enemy's camp leads us to hell. It doesn't leave us to heaven. And I don't want one person in this room to not make it. The Holy Holy Spirit empowers us to walk away from it. Choose the Holy Spirit over your flesh this morning. All hearts good, because we're going to move on to activation. Did you count the costs? If you did, I want you to repeat after me. Raise your hand up like you're taking an oath and making a covenant with God. Father God, I am a minister of the gospel. And everything I put my hands to, is worship unto you. Father, I say yes to the call to go. Father, I say yes to be intentionally in prayer for those around me. Father, I say yes 
to love and honor everyone. God, I say yes to walking in the opposite spirit of this world. And God, I say yes to the going to the loss and bringing you with me so that all men may know that you are good. Holy Spirit, you have equipped me. You have trained me. I am well able to walk out what you have called me to today. And my answer is yes. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Go. Be a blessing to those around you. Thank you for listening to this message from Dubois Light and Life Church. We hope you're blessed by it. To hear more messages or get more information about Light and Life Church, please visit DuboisFMC.org or check us out on Facebook.